All right, everybody, welcome back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. The I've been waiting all week. We are finally ready to dive in track by track for one of the most iconic albums of the 80s, Slippery When Wet. We need to stop talking now and start right back where we left off. Let's go. Again, we're back with Johann Sebastian Bach here, not the, not the Skid Row guy, but the old composer guy. That's what Dave Bryan is playing right here at the beginning of this album. And I love it. I didn't even, I told you, I did not have this album. The first concert that my band did, I went out there and played a riff on Takata and Fugue by Bach to start off the show. And we got... We've got Richie in there with some strong power chords. Let's listen to it. Okay, keep going. And then we crescendo into this awesome beginning. Okay, Let It Rock is a great concert starter. Yeah, it's an opener for sure. So, I mean, this is the one, Dave Bryan, you know, you got the silhouette and what's going on on stage. Are they there? Yeah. Oh, you get the music. Oh, the piano player's there. Yeah. Oh, are those guys putting guitars on? You know, <laughs> it's the beginning yeah. of a concert song, right? Yeah. And yeah. then the woes of Let It Rock is a great kickoff song. Yeah. know that that intro that piano intro has a name okay the intro before let it rock gets kicked off it's called pink flamingos okay that's that's just what dave bryan calls do you know what i know why they call it that i did not know that it had a name but i can tell you why they call it pink flamingos okay why because strippers no (laughs) because when they went to vancouver they put them up in this flat that was a part of it was like pink stucco flat where all of these people had saved their whole lives to buy an apartment in this flat. And they stick them in this tiny little two bedroom right in the middle of this pink stucco flat. And out in the front, they had pink flamingos. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. No BS, huh? No BS. Okay. I could have cool. made that up, but I didn't. <laughs> Oh, man. So this song to me, like we said, it's a great kickoff song, uh-huh. great concert opener. Yeah. This is similar in tone and feel, not as gospel but similar purposed as Lay Your Hands On Me. Yeah. It's, hey, everybody, time for concert. Let's go. Yeah, let's get everybody riled up. Let's get them jazzed up and yep. getting ready to pop. Yeah. Yep. Love it. Very fun, enjoyable song. So I saw him on the New Jersey tour, so Lay Your Hands On Me was the first song they played. Mm-hmm. But in the concert, he would say, ladies and gentlemen, master the keyboards, David Bryan. And he would he played Pink Flamingos, and that led into Let It Rock. Nice. It is not one of the top songs for me on the album but definitely not a skipper it is it's great you it, it gets you pumped up and ready for, for more the lyrics mention captain kid mm-hmm. that was the code name for john bon jovi okay the king of swing is the code name for richie sambora break on through to the other side is a doors reference of course yep it's got to be right 
All right. That does it for Let It Rock. Let's get into You Give Love a Bad Name. Listen, there are three massively iconic songs on this album. This is the first of those three. This song was released July 23rd of 86, almost a month before the album was released. First single. This is the first single. Before the song came out, they were opening for 38 special. (laughs) Does that blow your mind? Oh my gosh. They were still an opening band at this point. It's crazy. It's crazy. It is crazy. And so the video comes out not too long after this. I mean, there's still, it's still not, there's still just a band that's opening for another band. Right. The director of the video is a guy who had directed Motley Crue videos, which of course they were pissed about because they're like, what? Yeah. Because they hate effing Bon Jovi, right? Crew hates Bon Jovi. Right. But when they came in to shoot the video, it was this arena in Los Angeles they had to paint over the floor and paint Bon Jovi on the floor because they were not the main attraction. I remember when this song flipped, like I was an eighth grader and all of a sudden the biggest thing since sliced bread was this band called Bon Jovi. Yeah. And 38 special. I didn't even know really who they were, (laughs) you know? Okay. I'm going to blow your mind. You ready for this? Yes. You Give Love a Bad Name was written by Richie Sambora, John Bon Jovi, Desmond Child, as we said, in Richie's mother's basement. Uh They wrote this song a couple hours. This was the first song that they wrote. So have you ever heard the song, If You Were a Woman and I Was a Man by Bonnie Tyler? I have because you sent it to me, yeah. And I like to give myself credit that when you send it to me, you're like, what does this song sound like? And I listened and I was like, I don't know. And I had to actually like mute it mid-chorus. I was like, I'm muting mid-chorus. And I'm like, do, 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 do. Oh, you give love a bad name. Okay. Listen, this song (laughs) was a song that Desmond Child had written for Bonnie Tyler. That is a dead ringer for You Give Love a Bad Name. But he was mad because that song did not get the kind of attention that he thought it garnered. So when they were writing You Give Love a Bad Name, he borrowed from that song and said, you know what? had some guitars and had some good looking dudes up there singing this mm-hmm. it might have a better chance to be a hit and so he incorporated that they wrote the lyrics to it and john and richie really didn't know that and here we go you give love a bad name massive hit you blew my mind when you sent me that song you yes. did okay thank you here's a song that came out march of last year okay if all of the kings had their queens on the throne we would pop champagne and raise our toes to all of the Ava Max. Yes. You knew this already. I did. Dang it. I was hoping to blow your mind. So you know who a co-writer on the song was? Uh, Desmond Child. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? If it works. If if you're feeling thirsty, go to the well. And you know, the well keeps producing. Yeah. Because that was a hit. I asked my daughter, I'm like, you know this song? She's like, oh yeah, it's on the radio all the time. Yeah, of course it is. Because it's got that hooky, hooky melody. It's hooky. It really is. That song is called Kings and Queens by Ava Max. 
Okay. I want to talk about the video for a second. So 7,800 degrees Fahrenheit. John talks about how embarrassing those videos were. They're a bunch of little movies, these little vignettes where one of them, he was roughing up a guy for screwing him over for money. (laughs) You screwed us out of money or whatever. And then, like I said, Linda Hamilton chasing him around, stalking him, whatever. And so Wayne Isham, who's the, the guy who did videos for Motley Crue, as you said, he's like, you know what? What do these guys do best? Well, they got... They got a million dollar smile and they're energetic and fun on stage. So let's show what they can do on stage. Yeah. And so they, they did this concert, this little thing, and they filmed it at the Olympic auditorium in Los Angeles, like you said, mm-hmm. and they just put them on stage and said, we'll bring some people in, bring some Bon Jovi fans and rock it out. give the hottest ones the same t-shirts that the girl wore at uh, when we shot the album cover man that that is by far the most memorable part of the video for me even today but definitely as a what 10 11 year old kid i was like i want to be a rock star hot girls with ripped shirts say slippery and wet right so did you know that they initially intended this to be for lover boy okay i heard this yeah why didn't why didn't go to lover boy because they decided it was better for them. Because they said, you know what? This sounds like a pretty good hit. Yeah. I think we'll hang on to this one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he had he he liked what Brian Adams had done with Tina Turner. And so he had this kind of idea in his head that, hey, I'm going to write some of these songs to I'll write it. We'll get a big name to sing it. I'll sing a duet with them. And that'll be how I make my name. They didn't need it. No. This song hit number one, November 29th of 86. Okay. Spent 24 weeks on the chart. In 2005, this song became a number one hit in Poland when Polish singer not gonna work anymore here anymore. That's for sure. Mandarina, Mandarina. Okay, Mandarina, Mandarina. I bet it's Mandarina. Okay, okay. Is it just the one name? Is it yeah. like Cher? Okay. Yeah, it's right. like Madonna. Mandarina. Except it's Mandarina. Okay. okay. Number one hit, 1986. Amazing, iconic 80s song. Freaking love it. But still not the biggest song on the album. All right. This brings us to song number three, the biggest song on the album, and maybe the biggest song of the 80s. Ooh. Wow. My hair just blew back. What? Maybe the biggest song of the 80s. <sighs> Living on a prayer. The song is amazingly good. My grandmother knows this song and my daughter knows this song. Yeah. It's yeah. there are iconic songs and then there are songs like this. Yeah. So not only do you have stellar music coming in, not only do you have stellar vocal chorus going on with all of the singers in the band, but you have a song that is the working man's song in the same vein as Bob Seger or Bruce Springsteen or Billy Joel. When he starts talking about Tommy and Gina, you have a picture of those two people in your head. He paints the movie for you and it is perfect. It's awesome. It's awesome. Let's talk about Tommy and Gina for a second. Okay. Yes. Union on track. down on his luck. It's too 
when they were writing this song with Desmond Child. Yep. Desmond Child is his professional name. Yes. His real name is John Charles Barrett. Yep. Okay. So he's born and raised Johnny. Yeah. Okay. His girlfriend at the time. Yes. Her nickname at the diner she sang at was Gina. Gina was the diner all day. Working for her man. She worked as a waitress. She she was a singing waitress. Oh, okay. She was a singing waitress. Yes, she was they called her Gina because she looked like an actress that was famous in the 60s whose name was Gina. It was kind of a bombshell. Yeah. So the working names were Johnny and Gina. They liked the how it was that alliteration there. Yeah. But John Bon Jovi says, I can't I can't sing that. People think I'm talking about me. I'm, I don't oh, want right. to do that. I can't. It can't be Johnny. Right. So they changed it to Tommy and Gina. So do you know who the girlfriend was? No. Gina? Yeah, Gina. So the girlfriend of Desmond Child. Yes. Who, as we said, at the time was working in a diner. Yes. And people called her Gina. Yes. Her real name was Maria Vidal. Okay. And she's also a singer-songwriter, and she also had a huge hit in 1984 called Body Rock. What? And if you happen to remember, there was also a movie, which this song featured predominantly in, called Body Rock, that was a breakdancing movie starring Lorenzo Lamas. (laughs) (laughs) And it was a mega flop. Uh, As a break dancer myself, <laughs> I was excited about Beat Street and I was excited about Breaking and Breaking Two Electric Boogaloo. Mm-hmm. But Body Rock was so bad it didn't even it didn't even make the horizon. <laughs> so Maria Vidal is Gina, and she, yes, she went on to become a famous singer songwriter herself. Wow, that is awesome! Yeah, that is awesome. Tommy and Gina actually make a reappearance. Mm-hmm. In the song 99 in the Shade on New Jersey. Oh, okay. And in a song, It's My Life. It's My Life, which is on the Crush album, which reinvigorated Bon Jovi's career. Oh, yeah. Huge. That's one of my kids' favorites. It's a great song. It's a great song. Now, I'll say this. Living on a Prayer and You Give Love a Bad Name and One a Dead or Alive were all on the very first mixed CD that I made for my two oldest children back when CDs were still a thing, right? So my 17-year-old and my 15-year-old can tell you, hey, we had a CD that had Living on a Prayer. And this is a conversation I can remember walking into. My probably at the time four-year-old son was talking to my six-year-old daughter and and he says, it's Living on the Prairie. (laughs) <laughs> she's like what no it's living on the prayer and he goes it's living on the prayer and he listens he goes it does sound like he goes and then she goes wait a minute no you're right that doesn't make any sense can't be living on a prayer living it has prairie. to be living on the prairie <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> okay let's talk about the talk box for a second wow wow okay yep Whoa, 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 wow, 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 wow. Yeah, sorry. I was, I, the, the wow, wow. The, Richie Sambor is famous for the, the talk box. You and I had an argument about <laughs> three months ago. I can't remember. Oh, my god. What podcast was that? I can't even remember now. I know what it was. It was Guns and Roses because there's one song. I can't remember what the song is now. There's one song on Appetite for Destruction that Slash uses a talk box. And I said, talk box, you'd like this because you love Bon Jovi. And I said, talk box, probably most famous example is Peter Frampton on Frampton Comes Alive. And you go, 
No. <laughs> <laughs> you said. I said Richie Sambora living on a prayer. And I said. It's okay. You can be wrong. You're, yes. Yeah. That's your opinion. It's just that your opinion is wrong. That's right. <laughs> Still, at least it's in the top two most famous talk box yes. usage in yep. a song. When you go back and listen to Living on a Prayer, uh-huh. the talk box is kind of the spine of the song. It gives it that chunky sound in the middle. Yeah, and for those who are not familiar, basically there's there's a tube that goes up to the guitarist's mouth, and they are able to make voice sounds that translate through the guitar so that you, the guitar is creating the music, but the, the sound is rounded by the voice of the guitarist, which is why they call it a talk box. Okay, let's talk about this. This song has one of the greatest key changes in rock and roll history. John Bon Jovi has talked about how when they ask him what his biggest regret in his entire career is, yeah. he says the key change in prayer. Huh. Why? Because it's freaking hard to hit those notes, <laughs> right? And especially as you get older. Well, and that was the reason that he didn't, that was one of the reasons he didn't like the song. The end of the song, it, he's hitting the top of his range, having to sing it with the other guys who are having to hit the top of their range. So he was against this song being on the album. And Richie Sambora said, this is a number one hit. And thank goodness for the Pizza Parlor Jury. Really one of the most iconic songs of the 80s. Right. In fact, according to VH1, the greatest songs of the 80s. This is VH1. This is not Jason Colvin. This is VH1. (laughs) Okay. The number one greatest song of the 1980s, Living on a Prayer. Wow. Number two, pour some sugar on me. Number three, hungry like the wolf. So it sounds like we need to cover Duran Duran and and season three. Number four, Billie Jean. Number five, When Doves Cry. So listen, this song was released on Halloween, 1986. It reached number one February 14th, 1987. It was number one for four straight weeks, which is the longest of any song in 1987. You Give Love a Bad Name had been there for one week. One week. Yep. Yep. Let's talk about the video for just a second. Okay. The video takes place, they're like uh, in sound check and they're, they're warming up and it's all in black and white and they're singing, living on a prayer and they're running around having a great time and they're practicing with these ropes that make them fly, right? And they kind of yes. bring them up over the, the crowd and when it hits that important part of the song, it switches the color uh-huh. and then there's a live crowd, but it's like they're flying out over the crowd and it is awesome. That key change is incredible. So this one also got pumped back up again whenever Blake Lewis performed it on the 2007 season of American Idol. But I think my favorite outside use of this song was on the Money episode of The Office where Dwight played it on the recorder. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We can't say enough. Are we done with Living on a Prayer? I hate to be, but we got to move on. It's one of the best songs of the 80s. Maybe the maybe best. the best. Maybe the best. And maybe my favorite. It's it's very good. Let's talk about the next song. A song called Social Disease. <laughs> The 
This has a different feel. <laughs> it does. This has a different feel than the songs that we've heard up until this point. And I think this is another song. I think they, they considered having Aerosmith perform this they did. song. Aerosmith wanted this song. And I can totally hear Aerosmith doing this song. Absolutely. The horns. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that was the thing about Bruce Fairbairn. He was a trumpet player. Like he was not, he was a horn player. He was not a guitarist. And so he kind of just let them be them, but he also brought the horns in. I mean, how many hard rock songs have horns in them? Not many, unless you're Bon Jovi or Aerosmith. Yeah, for sure. This definitely has an Aerosmith feel. Even the little talking parts, like at the end when he's like, nothing a shot can't cure. I could totally hear Steven Tyler doing that. Yeah. You know, which makes sense because Bruce Fairburn is the one who went on to produce Permanent Vacation and Get a Grip. And Get a Grip. Yeah. I mean, he did a ton of songs. I mean, Desmond Child wrote Dude Looks Like a Lady. Oh, yeah, that's right. And Angel. Wait a minute. And and What It Takes. That's right. Dude Looks Like a Lady, of course, was about Vince Neil. Vince Neil. It all crosses. Uh, I I like this song. I, I like this song a lot. Uh, Richie Sambora actually said it's one of his album highlights. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of gets relegated to the back row when you talk about Slippery When Wet. It's hard not to. Well, and especially it lies between Living on a Prayer and Wanted Dead or Alive. It's a tough spot to be in. It's the fast forward spot in your tape. Probably. But it's still a good song. It's a fun song. Yeah. It's not quite a skipper, but probably when I was... 11, 12, 13 years old, I'm skipping that song. Once you got past the sex sounds at the beginning of it? Uh, that was all a little uncomfortable. <laughs> yes. Is that it? <laughs> you mean that's it? Yeah. Still a fun song, but yeah, it's definitely not one of the three pillars. Right. Okay. Um, one okay. of the things on social disease yes. I was going to talk about. Yeah. I, I've talked about how before my parents scrutinized my music pretty well, right? Yes, yeah. So... My dad got a hold of this tape, and my dad was a very uh, on the surface, you know, sort of looked over my music. You know, uh-huh. he's like, "All right, let's take a look at this." Okay, let's see here. Let it rock. Okay, you give love a bad name. All right, fine. Living on a prayer. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> Social uh, disease. He, he cued in on that one. Social disease. What is that song? Huh? Oh, so it's not. I don't even like that song. I'll just do it. Dad, listen to it. Sure. <laughs> you can't hide when the infection starts. Because love is a social disease. You can't hide when infection starts. Love is a social disease. Love is a social disease. Love is a social disease. Worth yeah. talking about. Yeah. Oh, wait. She could run the bullet train on 38 double D's. (laughs) Now you know for sure, you know the cure to make a blind man see. That's solid writing right there, guy. 38 double D's. I'm pretty sure they wrote that at the number five orange. (laughs) Okay. This is one of the moments we've been waiting for. This is my favorite song on the album. This song is called Wanted Dead or Alive. It's so amazing. You've got an acoustic 12-string guitar, this Western-sounding beginning to it with these mystical keyboard instruments going on in the background. You get the when the bass comes in and it's that kind of hard, you know, you see the bad guy showing up in the black hat and it all breaks down. 
And he says, it's all the same. Only the names will change. What great, the whole freaking song is a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece. The lyrics, so good. Let's talk about it. Some people have misunderstood what a steel horse is. Yeah. So when you watch the video, you're thinking a steel horse is going to be the jet or the bus, right? Right. Or a motorcycle or a car. Right. On a steel horse, I ride. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, the idea behind the song, I think you mentioned to it earlier, it's like being a rock star is sort of like being an outlaw. You ride into town, you steal the money, you bag the babes, and you get out of town before the lawman can get you. Pretty similar, right? Right. It's the same idea, same feel. But it still wears you out, which is, the, I think they really capture in the video. Yeah, for sure. But, and they talk about the bottle. And they talk about dealing with life on the road. It's not all glam and glory. A lot of it is tough, nut stuff. And these guys, this is interesting. They toured from 1983 until 1990. That is seven years on the road. Yeah. That's insane. And it almost destroyed the band. It, it, yes. Yes, it did. We'll talk more about that probably next week, but yeah, it, it almost killed them. This song is modeled after Turn the Page by Bob Seger. Yep. John was listening to Bob Seger and he thought to himself, that song right there, we need a song like that. This song really- Life on the road. Yeah. I mean, that's what Turn the Page is about. Yep. It's life on the road. When they hit that guitar solo in the middle of the song and it goes into a full scale rocker, it blows me away. There are a great many songs in history that are great songs that have a good guitar solo. There are only a few songs in history that have guitar solos that are as memorable as the lyrics in the song. Like, you know every note of the solo. And Richie Sambor has three of those, at <laughs> least, yeah. on this album. Yeah. On this album. It's amazing. This song made it all the way up to number seven on the Hot 100. Please tell me you looked at what one through six were. Well, I looked at number one. Okay. Number one was You Keep Me Hanging On by Kim Wilde. Good song. Not but not near. Not Wanted Dead or Alive. Number seven. It didn't crack the top five. It doesn't make any sense to me. It yeah. just doesn't. The producers of Young Guns 2 wanted to use this song for the movie, but John was like, you know what? The lyrics don't really fit for your movie. I appreciate that you like the song. Uh-huh. Why don't you let me write something for your movie? Here you go, Blaze of Glory. Yeah, which was... A number one hit. And an amazing, yeah. amazing song, for sure. Can we talk about the video? Let's talk about the video. So it's very much in the vein of Living on a Prayer and You Give Love a Bad Name in that it's them on the road and them on the stage, but it's the other side of it. Yeah. It's the worn out side. It's, and it's all in black and white. Same guy. Say, why, Wayne Isham did this video as well. It captures an almost art house film feel of life on the road. We talk about those, you know, the journey has their on the road songs and Motley Crue has their on the road songs. And this, this is their, the tough life of being on the road. Yeah. Curiously enough, one of the towns you see in the background in this video is Oklahoma city. Nice. <laughs> Nobody cares about, it but us, but. This song did something that wasn't being done at the time, 
but afterwards became a really big deal, which was mixing the acoustic guitar in with the heavy metal sound. It just, you, you try to think of something before 1986 that had, that had them starting off with acoustic guitar. I can't think of anything, but then you get Mr. Big, you get extreme, you get all of these other bands afterwards that are like, yeah, let's put the acoustic guitar back into our hard rock, heavy metal sets. That was, I believe inspired by this song. I know I saw an interview with David Bryan and, He's the one who actually said, you know what, guys, if this is going to be our national anthem, this is going to be our theme song, we really need to go all the way. So he's the one who's like, we need the wind at the beginning. And we need that, you know, the chimes and add that extra element of cowboy. They, were, they didn't get this. They, had, they loved the song, but they, didn't, they couldn't get it right in the studio. And they worked at it and they worked at it and they worked at it and they couldn't get it right. And finally, Bruce said... Take a break. Go to the restaurant down the street. Have a little bit of wine. (laughs) So they went to the restaurant down the street and they had a little bit of wine and they came back and they nailed it in one take. Nice. Okay. Freaking amazing song. Iconic 80s song. One of the three titans on this album. D, are you done with One Dead or Alive? I hate to be done with it, but I think I am. All right. Press stop on your tape player. Kick it out. Flip it over. Side two. Side two. Are you going to say it or am I going to say it? You say it. Whoa, we're halfway there. (laughs) (laughs) First song on side two. Raise your hands. Great kickoff to the side two, man. You can't beat this. This is a rocker, man. This is like yeah. the heaviest rocker on the album. Yeah, I mean, it's it's perfect that they end with the at the end of side one. You you know they brought it down, they put in the acoustic, and they're like, okay, Lights we're bringing it back up. Boom. Yep. John said that raise your hands is my way of saying good morning, class. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is a great song. This song I would compare to Homebound Train off of New Jersey. Again, first song on the second side. Yeah, yeah, good. This song is used in the movie Spaceballs. When Barf and Lone Star go to the diner and you see the Millennium Falcon parked out front, they're playing Raise Your Hands. They also play Good Enough by Van Halen. That's what I was thinking. Struggling. I was like, I thought it was Van Halen. Okay. They play Van Halen and they play Raise Your Hands by oh, Bon Jovi. All right, perfect. All right, so... One of the things I like about the end of this song, and it's just a little bit, but you kind of get that town roll call, right? Where he's like, "Oh right, yeah." Every, every out, band has to do that, right? Yeah, New York, Detroit, Phoenix, Sayreville, New Jersey, right? <laughs> but that's very easy to slip in. Sayreville, yeah, that's great. Tulsa, <laughs> Milwaukee, Miami Beach. Raise your hands. I'll raise the flag if you'll defend her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they got a little bit of that in there. Yeah. It's a Motley Crue style song. All right, we're done with Raise Your Hands. Okay. Next song on the album is a song called Without Love. This is one of those songs co-written by Desmond Child. Yep. I like this song a lot. It's a ballad. It's a kind of a slow rocker. Get this. This is the one song that they've never performed live. 
That's not really surprising to me. Not a fan of this one? No. This, I, I, you know, I want this to be a great album from beginning to end, but this one did not do anything for me at all. I definitely would be <laughs> this part of the song. I like this one. I like this one. Uh, a friend of mine, Mike Harmon, guy I work with, this is his favorite song on the album. Wow. He's Sorry, a sucker Mike. for this one. Yeah, that's all right. Good song, ballad. I have a feeling there's a bra strap involved in him listening uh, to this song at some point. There's got to be, right? <laughs> <laughs> that uh, lavender purple clasp that was, yeah. The mysteries of the Brock clasp. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sweet song. Um, again, these guys, they sing songs that most people can relate to. They like, people like to listen to rock and they like to have fun. They want to hear songs about love. And this is one of those songs. Next song. Next song is called I Die For You. Okay, so when I heard that, I'm listening to this album. I told you I did not have this album when I was a kid. I, I liked a lot of the songs off the album, but I didn't have this album when I was a kid. This song starts playing, and I'm like, I didn't think Runaway was on this album. Yeah, it's not Runaway, obviously, but I was like, whoa. It's similar. This is very, very similar to the beginning of Runaway. Here's the funny thing. Okay. When you and I talked this week prior to our podcast, yeah, you said, is that the song that sounds like Runaway? And I'm like, crap, that song does sound like <laughs> Runaway. And I know these songs. It just yeah. never dawned on me that this is a clone of Runaway. Oh, totally. So I like it. It's that sort of youthful yeah. passion drive. You know, I'd die for you. I'd cry for you. I'd do anything. But yeah, it's a clone of Runaway. Yeah. And it's uh, it's not Runaway. Runaway's Runaway's better. Better, yeah. But it's not bad. Right. It's not bad. It's, it's fun. It's, it's good. still a good. Yeah, yeah. It's still a good pumping. If I had to pick one word to describe this album, it would be throbbing. <laughs> <laughs> nice pulsating, throbbing, <laughs> pumping. There is know. some passionate desperation to yeah. this. Yeah, and if you are a person out there and you don't like the '80s synthesizer. Why are you listening? You're in the wrong place because <laughs> we love it. Yeah. All right. Now then, let's get to one of the staple makeout songs of 1987. This song is called Never Say Goodbye. Here's where I go and awkwardly ask the girl to slow dance at the school gym. What'd she say? she say yes? They always said yes, but nothing ever came up. It was always just a dance. I never could figure out how those other guys were like making out midway through the song. Like, you know how many mixtapes I put this song on for how many different girls? <laughs> makeout mixtapes? Absolutely. This is a go-to makeout song. I mean, this is a wonderful, lovely power ballad on the album. Yeah. You can see the whole room swaying when they play this. For sure. Was this one a single? This one was a single. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. It was, they had a video for it. In June of 1987, it reached number 11 on the Main Street Rock Charts and number 21 on the UK Singles. Because it was not released domestically as a commercially available single, Never Say Goodbye was ineligible to chart on the Hot 100. Nevertheless, it reached number 28 on the Hot 100 Airplay chart. 
I love this song. It's beautiful. If you really want to get my favorite version of this song, yeah, listen to the acoustic live rendition that's on the B side of I'll Sleep When I'm Dead, a song that came out in 1993. He has this uh, sort of monologue at the beginning. He's like, for this girl in the front row with the pen and paper making requests. <laughs> and they go right into Never Say Goodbye. This song is so much high school love life. It is. So much. I, you've got... And then we've got, remember at the prom that night, you and me, we had a fight, but the band, they played our favorite song, and I held you in my arms so strong. So close, we dance so slow, swore I'd never let you go. Another boom. Together. I love it. I love yeah. it. It's wonderful. It is a it's a it's a prom song. You're absolutely right. Never say goodbye. Never say goodbye. This is specifically mentioned as a song selected by the Pizza Parlor jury that would not have made the album if not for them. Nice. Thank you, Pizza Parlor jury. Whoever you are. The kid who said this song doesn't suck. Yeah. This one doesn't suck. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, so one little tidbit I wanted to talk to you about on Never Say Goodbye. The original demo has Richie Sambora on lead vocals. Really? It's kind of interesting. Okay. If you go back and listen to the demo, it's it's Richie. And for whatever reason, mainly because they have a superstar lead singer. Right. They who's, probably just... Who's a bit of a... He, he, he take charge. He He's is the boss. Guy. There's yeah. no doubt. He's the yeah. boss. But anyway, they went went back with John on lead vocals for whatever reason. Yeah. I don't know that they either one of them would have been the success that they are without the other. I think that's very true. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Last song on the album. Song called Wild in the Streets. Yeah. I wish they would have ended the song or ended the album with the last song. I don't know how many times I've said that. I don't. I. But yes, I can hear this, and I can say, yeah, this is a closeout song. You're closing out the concert with this song, and you're probably going to come out later with an encore, yeah, right? Yeah. But I know that there were better songs that they had in these recording sessions that didn't make it onto the album that I think should have been a or would have been a better choice than this one. I'm with you. I. I like this song. I do know this song very well. In other words, to it, it, it does serve a purpose in concert as a, that's the end of the first listing until we come back for our encore, right? right. This is a, have a great night. See you later, Seattle. Right. And we're going to go turn off the lights and hang out. Good. It's it's Hades Bon Jovi. There probably are better songs. In fact, there's a song I do want to talk about after this one yeah. that didn't make the album that probably should have, maybe in its place. Yeah. One of the things I want to mention: this song has a video that I did not see until two days ago. What? There is a there is a video for Wild in the Streets, and the cool thing about this video 
is it's concert footage and it's, you know, John and the guys running around when they're in their twenties and they look great and they're having a great time. John Bon Jovi is wearing a U2, the unforgettable fire shirt in this video. It's really cool. That's awesome. I did read some stuff, some writers and things that they thought this was a, another number one hit in the making. Like this could have been as big. I'm like, I don't know guys. Uh Uh-uh. Okay, D, one of the songs I really want to talk about that isn't a part of Slippery When Wet was recorded around the same time. Mm -hmm. It was actually a song on the Disorderly's soundtrack, Uh the Fat Boys movie. Remember that one? Yeah. Anyway, that song is called Edge of a Broken Heart. Owner of a lonely heart. No, no, not that one. No, No? that's different. Oh, okay. And it's not, the, it's not the Vixen song either, Edge oh. of a Broken Heart. This is the Bon Jovi song, Edge of a Broken Heart. John has talked about how it didn't quite make the cut, but fans have kind of grown attached to it. And he said, you know what? Looking back on it, it was appropriate for that album. And basically, I'm sorry. Yeah, my bad. Yeah. Which means that he's probably the one that said, we nope. Should, yeah, yeah, we should take this off. Well, we've come to the end. So they've just released a mega hit album. Mega hit album. Mega hit. Two number one songs, one of which spends longer in the top position than any other song that year. They're selling millions of albums. They're touring all over the place. What comes next? You'll have to come back next week when we discuss their follow-up album, New Jersey. D? Yep. It's been fun, man. I love talking about these. (laughs) I I think I'm just going to drive home and listen to this album. Yeah. Good night, everybody. We'll see you back here next week on the Shirley Can't Be Serious podcast, where we will discuss New Jersey and which album we think is the best. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Do it now. I'm not just saying this. I really mean it. You got your phone right there the app is right there all you have to do is hit the little button that says subscribe and then go tell your friends about this wonderful podcast that you heard. that's right and if you want to go to the patreon page become a patreon you've got some stuff out there we'll send you this really cool cup and you can have voting rights for what episodes are coming up we've got some cool headphones all depends on what level you're at but you can come in as an executive producer for as little as five bucks a month Five bucks a month? It's like a cup of coffee. Yeah. And I can't even get a cup of coffee for that at Starbucks. It's like seven bucks. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everybody. We will see you back here next week.